your congregation, you can see from this chapter of the story of Paul on his way to Rome. And as I thought about uh, this day, Sunday, especially it being Old Year's Day, the last day of the year, I thought that this is such an appropriate passage as we look back and especially as we look forward to the new year. I've entitled the sermon, Rough Water Ahead. Because if there's one thing that is certain, my friends, is that storms will come in the coming year. And I found in this chapter six Six lessons for us to learn as we anticipate the coming year. You'll remember that uh, in, the, in the previous part of the story here, Luke has recorded for us uh, his trial before each of these different men, the Sanhedrin, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And for each of those men... Luke has made it clear to us that even these men understood that Paul was innocent. Luke is very careful to record those details, that Paul was not guilty of the charges that were brought against him. Again, that leads us to believe that the book of Acts may very well have been used in Paul's trial in Rome. And that may very well even be why Luke wrote this book, the reason why he recorded all this history, to use it as a kind of legal brief in his trial in Rome. But at any rate, six lessons then that we can learn from this chapter as we face the new year. So work with me here through these six items. The first one is just the title of the sermon, Rough Water Ahead. Children, in your notes, you can put plan on it. Plan on it under that first heading there, Rough Water Ahead. Plan on it. My friends, we can be certain of one thing in the coming year, and that is that storms will arise. There will come times in the coming year of trial, of difficulty, pain. We can be certain of that. I've given you that verse there from the book of Job. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. God, in his eternal providence and in his plan for his children, for reasons many times known only to himself, has given us a path through this world that is fraught with difficulties. No amount of money, no amount of insurance policies, no amount of uh, forward thinking can protect us from these storms that are ahead. And so in the first place, my friends, let's learn this lesson from Acts chapter 27. Rough water ahead. These things should not catch us by surprise. My second lesson to take from this chapter. Step up. Children, in your own notes, you can put take the lead. Take the lead. Because we see in this chapter That one man in this ship, one man in this terrible situation where we're told that all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. But there's one man, congregation, who steps up in this time. One man who steps up, and that's the Apostle Paul. 
In verse 21, Acts 27 and 21, we read, And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst, and he speaks. Believers, my friends, should step up when times of crisis occur in our lives and in the lives of our families. Fathers, of course, with the responsibility to protect and to provide and to lead, of course fathers should step up. But so many times mothers have to step up. Children, right, young people, sometimes you have to step up. But in a time of crisis, believers should take a leading role, not hide away. Isn't it interesting in this in this chapter, my friends, you, the Romans who prided themselves on power, they prided themselves on their strength. But where's Julius, the captain of the guard responsible for taking Paul? Where's the captain of the ship? We don't read about that they stepped up. But no, Paul steps up. Because, my friends, a believer has something. A believer has something. He has the resources that give him, that give her the opportunity to step up and to lead in the face of great trial and great crisis where an unbeliever has not those resources. Julius, for all his pomp and for all his power, for all his regalia, right? No matter what, how sharp the sword was at his side, right? No matter how many people he had under him, he had nothing to say in the face of this storm, this storm called a northeaster. You know that in, a, in our translation, it called it an Equanon, and, and that's a, uh, you're Aquilo in verse 14. You're Aquilo, which is a, a northeaster, some storm that came over the mountains of the island of Crete and blasted down on the lake there. And by the way, if you look, if you look at your, your map there, all that they were trying to do, my friends, on the back is you see on the island of Crete, right smack in the middle of that map there, they're at the Fair Havens. And all they were trying to do was to get to Phoenix. That's all they're trying to do. <clears throat> that little distance. I think it's like 50 miles or something when I looked it up on the, on the map. Not a long distance. But the storm roars down from Crete and blasts them out to water. And now in this time of crisis, the captain has nothing to say. Everybody has abandoned hope. But Paul steps up. My friends, there's a, there's a lesson there for us, isn't it? What does someone do in a storm when you're an unbeliever? And I don't know, but that maybe there's somebody here this evening who doesn't have a faith in God, who doesn't have faith in Christ. I hope not. But if there is someone, and even if you are a believer, consider, what does someone do? Try to step into the shoes of an unbeliever. This Captain Julius has nothing to say in the face of this storm. They, all they can do is abandon hope, as we're told, as we're told in this story. But Paul has the resources to stand up and to take the lead. 2024, my dear friends, when sickness comes, when that diagnosis comes, when trouble in business, trouble in relationships, in marriage, in family, in church. When those things arise, who will stand up? 
Who will speak like Paul does into this situation? And I don't mean in a tyrannical, power-grabbing kind of way. Of course not. That's never helpful. But in a humble, consistent, firm way. When crises arise in your family, who will stand up? I know it might, you might think that it's perhaps more humble to let someone else stand up. And if, if there's someone else leading in this particular situation, of course, fall in behind. But in so many situations in life, my friends, we have to take the action of the Apostle Paul to step up and to lead. Didn't we see something of this in the, in the, in the COVID crisis, in the pandemic, where there was so much fear and yes, in our hearts too, but the Christian can look that disease, that pandemic in the face, can't we? Whereas so many other people, uh, it, was, it was a different situation with them, right? When they, when they face sickness, when they face reverses in their health, they have no answer. They're like Julius, right? This captain, with all his power, he has no answer for it. He has no resources to face it. And so in 2024, when the storms hit, take the lead. Step up as Paul did here. I come to my third lesson. So Paul had the resources to face this crisis. Julius didn't have it. The captain of the ship didn't have it. But Paul did. He steps up. Now what were those resources? And so in the third case, my friends, this lesson that this chapter teaches us is the power source. Children, I'd like you to write in your notes under that heading there, power source, God's Word. God's Word. Or maybe you want to just write Bible. B-I-B-L-E. God's Word. Because Paul has the resources to face this crisis. And what is that resource? It's the Word of God. If you'll read with me in verse 34, Paul is saying to them, uh, I'm sorry, not verse 34, verse 25. Verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Now, what had he been told? You can see that in the previous verse, in verse 23, For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. What resource does Paul have that gives him the ability to face the crisis, to step up? It's the word of God. The angel of the Lord had come down and had spoken to Paul very directly, just as directly as I'm speaking to you now. And based on that word, Paul stands up in the boat and he says, Therefore, take courage. And now those two things, my friends, do always go together. Take courage, and thus says the Lord. The Word of God and courage. Those are twins, my friends. Those are, those are the, 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 the two oars that we propel our boat through the water. The Word of God gives us that strength. Take courage. Now, you most likely don't have a direct word from God as Paul received here. That's not the kind of word we expect in our own time, in our own place here. I'm not saying that it's impossible, right? But we have the written word of God. 
in our hands. Every day, every morning, every evening, we have the written Word of God in our hands. And with that Word in our hands, my friends, we have the resources to face every crisis that could possibly come in 2024. Who believes that this morning? Dear friends, answer me honestly now in your own minds and in your own hearts. Who believes that with the Word of God you can face every crisis of 2024? We confess it, don't we? But it's quite a different thing to live it. Sometimes it's astonishing, my friends, how many times we as Christians try to handle crises apart from the Word of God. We have times of sorrow, times of pain, difficulty, trial in our life, and we turn to other things to resolve it. Maybe even worldly, kind of secular things that we turn. We try to find uh, a... Uh, to wash away our sorrow in entertainment. And it's to our shame, my friends, that the last thing that we turn to is the Word of God. But when Paul steps up, he says, Brothers, God said. God told me. And what a difference, my friends, if in 2024, when those storms come in our life, if we would stand up and say, God told me. You know, we, 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 we grow up with the Word of God such a part of our life that we really take for granted the power that is in the Word of God. Right? We have, we have Bibles on our phones, Bibles in our homes, Bibles in church. We have Bibles everywhere that we, 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 we don't appreciate the strength and the power of the Word of God, the way someone does who never grew up with the Word of God and suddenly discovers it. You know, I found it interesting as I prepare lessons for the school. I hope to teach a class on the Reformation. And it's interesting to me, my friends, that you see a pattern. During the times of the Reformation, wherever the Word of God went, there went the Reformation. We look to men like Luther, Calvin, Zwingli. Great men, no question. But the power that was behind the Reformation, my friends, was the Word of God. Luther did what? He translated the Word of God into German. And what a transforming power that had on the German nation. Wycliffe, a century before Luther, translated parts of the Word of God into Latin, which, of course, was the language spoken by many people in those days. And the power of the Word of God swept the the, the nation of England. It's the Word of God, my friends, that has such a power. And when we soak ourselves in the Word of God, when we have the Word of God dwelling in our hearts, we have a strength that perhaps we're not even aware of. My friends, there's a story in the Inglesma family, which is kind of a defining story in the whole Inglesma family. If you went to an Inglesma and asked them about this, I can almost be sure they would know. Our dear grandmother, when she was 50 years old, roughly 50 years old, was diagnosed with brain cancer. So this was in the 1950s. Young family just had given birth to twins, and she was diagnosed with brain cancer. It was pretty much a 
a death sentence in those days. And the family was thrown into great distress, as you can imagine. Great distress and anguish. Uh, the heartbreaking stories of my grandfather working in his fields and having to stop his tractor to weep. And he didn't know what was going to happen with his family. And his wife was submitted to the hospital, and doctors did their work, and they were now going to operate. And you can imagine my grandmother was also in the deepest kind of distress. Not just what was going to happen to her family, but what was going to happen to her, that she was going to lose her life. And my grandfather went to see her once as the surgery was drawing closer, and she had a perfect peace in her soul. Even on her face, such that when grand my grandpa walked through the door, he said, he said, Mom, what happened? And she said, a verse of scripture has come to my mind with such power. What verse of scripture is it? said grandpa. She said, the angel of the Lord and camps round about those who fear him. And grandpa said, well, where is that verse? She says, I have no idea. She didn't know. But her mind was so full of the word of God that when this awful storm, was, when she was facing this awful storm, it's as if the Holy Spirit of God could just nudge loose that verse in her mind. And such was the power of that verse that she had a perfect peace and tranquility. And she faced this terrible surgery, which you can imagine in the 50s was a dreadful surgery to have to face. She faced it with perfect peace and calm, and the Lord spared her life. She lost the use of her right arm and the vision of her one eye. But other than that, she, she came out, and she lived to be 90-some years old. But the power of the Word of God, my friends, that story is so powerful in my life, and I'm sure that if I could give you this pulpit this morning, you could tell me about the power of the Word of God in your life, especially the elderly ones amongst us. Why is it that when I go to see Mina Balkma, as she lays there on a chair, not able to walk with her leg in a, in a cast, that she can say, Pastor, the Lord is so good to me. The Lord is so good to me. Where does that kind of strength come from? That doesn't come from a training in the Roman military. That doesn't come from being a Navy SEAL. That comes from the Word of God. The word of God is such a strength in the hearts of God's people. And so in 2024, my friends, depend upon it. That the real strength is found in the word of God. Will you face those storms in your own resources? Like Julius, like the captain of that ship? Or will you face the storms with the power of the word of God in your soul? My fourth lesson, my friends, is use of means. The use of means. By the way, I, as I go through these six things, I'm not saying that these are the only things that we should keep in mind when we, when we face 2024. These are just the things I found in this chapter that I think are helpful to us. But the use of means. Children, in your own notes there, you can put just one word, work. Work. When I say use of means, I mean by that, friends, that we use the means that God has provided us to provide for ourselves and to survive the storms of life. Now look at verse 34. Because initially when you read verse 34, you might think there's something of a contradiction there. 
And I'm not sure, frankly, that I can even untie this knot for you this morning. But look at Acts 27 and verse 34. Paul is saying to the sailors and to the passengers of the ship, Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. Now notice, my friends, that Paul has given the passengers of this ship, the captain of this ship, this certain promise from God himself. Paul says, God told me that no one is going to perish from this ship. So they all got out their deck chairs, sat down, and waited for God to save them on the ship. No, that's not how you face a storm. That's not how God expects us to face the storms of 2024 either. God expects us to hear his promise and to work it out. Both of those things somehow go together. Paul says not a hair of the head of anyone is going to perish. But now take some food to eat. But Paul, if nobody's going to perish, then why do we take food to eat? Why are we trying to bring this ship? Why are we dropping anchors, lifting the anchors, and all the different things. They tried to bind the bow of the ship with, with ropes to hold it all together. And all these things, throwing the cargo overboard, all these steps that they take. They used the means that God had provided them to, say, to survive the storm. Even though they had a promise from Paul that God was going to save every one of them. That not a single one of them was going to perish. Now my friends, exactly how those two things work together, I don't know. Uh, many of the great theologians of the past have said that God not only decrees the end, every, everybody will be saved, but he also decrees in his eternal sovereignty the means used to bring us, us to that end. Now you can think that through if you like, but the fact of the matter is, my friends, that Paul commands the passengers of the ship to use every means at their disposal <coughs> to survive the storm. And now the lesson for us, my friends, in 2024 is that when we face these storms, we are not just to sit back and to wait for God to work. We are not just to sit back and wait until God uh, resolves the situation. We are to work hard to survive those storms and to use every available means for our survival. And this is very practical, my friends. If we have health concerns, we follow the doctor's orders. We take the medicines. We do the exercise. We do the therapy. We, we, we uh, keep the diet that the doctor may order us or whatever the reasonable measures to preserve our health may be. If we have reverses in business, we plan, we strategize, we budget, we set goals. All these things that we do. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying, and don't misunderstand the saying, but let me just give it to you. Work as though it all depended on you. Pray as though it all depended on God. Now, of course, it all does depend on God. So again, the saying, don't get too literal here. But you understand the, the expression, right? That we are to work and to use every means at our disposal as we face these storms. And we are to pray that God would work it out. So we work as hard as we can, but always with the understanding that God has all these things in his hands. He knows the end from the beginning. He brings us into difficult times. He brings us into peaceful 
happy times. They're both from the hand of God, and in both we work and we labor and we use our hands and our minds to honor God. This is the God-honoring way to face these situations in our life, to use every available means at our disposal. You know, Paul was a man of action, congregation. Paul was a man of vigorous action. And yet no one had a higher view of the sovereignty of God than Paul. Paul believes, as Jesus had taught him, that every sparrow in the sky is under God's sovereign control. Every hair on our head is numbered. And yet you never found Paul sitting on the couch. We use the expression, no grass grew under his feet. He was a man of vigorous action. So my friends, for 2024, we put those two things next to each other. Again, it's not always clear in our minds how they fit together. But God has a perfect sovereign plan for your life. And we have to work to show ourselves to be diligent and zealous in every calling that God places upon us. There are no lazy Christians, my friends. There are lazy Christians, but they should repent of it. There are no lazy Christians who honor God, let me put it that way. We are called upon to give it our all. I come then to the fifth point here. Wise people. Children, in your notes, you can put, listen. You see that heading there where it says, wise people on your notes? You can write, listen. Listen. I just said that we should use all available means at our disposal. What do I see in chapter 27? I see a captain of the ship unwilling to listen to advice. And so one of the counsels, one of the things I call you to in 2024, especially for our young people, listen to wiser people. When you have a problem with your plumbing in the house, you call the plumber. When you have a problem with the electrical, you call the electrician. When you have issues in your life, dear friends, seek counsel. Don't be so proud that you never can listen to someone else, that you have to work everything out yourself. And maybe that counsel applies more to the older ones amongst us because we tend to think that we have everything worked out. We've lived long enough to know. My friends, wise counsel, so important. I find in Acts chapter 27, verse 11, or verse 10. Verse 10, we read where Paul is giving his counsel. He says, Man, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Verse 11, But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now, I know what we're all thinking here is right. Of course, you're going to listen to the captain of the ship before you listen to some guy who's some preacher going to tell me how to run my ship. Again, yes, I understand that. But the lesson for us, my friends, is to seek counsel and then to listen. Seek counsel from wiser people than us. May I give you another story involving my grandparents? If the first one was a heartbreaker, this one is humorous. But one day in the summer, it was an extremely dry summer. There was a drought, a very dry summer. 
And I had discovered in the back of my grandfather's orchard a large brush pile. And, uh, you know, we always burn those brush piles. I think probably many of, many of you have done that as well. So I saw a chance for a great fire, right? And no young guy can turn that down. And so I went back to Grandpa's house and was rummaging around in his cabinet for some matches. And Grandpa saw me. He was an older man by this time. He said, Chris, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to go light that brush pile on fire. He said, Chris, don't do it. Do you know how dry it is? Well, there came the council, and here came me. I said, oh, Gramps, don't worry a bit about it. You know, it'll be fine. It's all, it's all just grass around it. You know, there's no danger. And so I went out there with my, with my matches and some kindling, and I lit that brush pile on fire. And my friends, I just about burned down the whole town of Standale. That brush pile went up in a mighty flame. And I could still see the flames shooting up. And when they got to be about six feet high, I realized I was in trouble. So I ran for, uh, to fill my, um, my big trash can with water from the barn, got the barn filled up with water, came running back. By that time, the flames were probably 10, 12 feet high. I threw the water on it. The flames went like this. And then right back up again. And finally, I called in a panic for my father to come help me. I learned a valuable lesson. Grandpa, after as many years, knew what a drought did to land. And even green grass burned, I found out. And about 30 feet off was my grandfather's hay mound in the barn. And if my dad hadn't come and run in with a sprinkler, things could have turned out very differently. But what a lesson to learn, dear young people, as you go on in your life. Because as storms come in 2024, one of the resources, one of the means that you have that you need to use is to seek wise counsel and then to listen. I've told you before, and, and you, I know you, I've said this many times to you, and, and don't take it wrong, right? You understand what I'm saying, but you are not wise, right? And that's no insult. That's just reality. And the sooner you come to grasp that fact, actually, I told you, the wisest thing you can do in your life is to acknowledge that you don't have wisdom. I didn't have in my experience what it meant to put a match to a brush pile in a drought. So I had no frame of reference, you might say. Whereas Grandpa had many years of, of droughts. He knew. And I foolishly cast aside his counsel. And so I had a storm of my own making. And young people, I, I, I beg you this morning to think carefully about that. To seek out counsel. And especially to seek out the counsel of your parents. There's two people who care more about you in this world than anyone else, anywhere. Your parents care more about you than your pastor. Now, I love every one of you. But I do not love you as much as your parents do. I can say that with certainty. And so it's your wisdom it's the highest course of wisdom to speak to them. Have an open relationship, an open communication with your parents. Talk to them about the things that you're struggling with. Maybe you have a closer relationship with your mother or a closer relationship with your father. Fine, speak to them. But may I also speak to the elderly ones, the older ones amongst us, men and women alike. When was the last time you spoke with one of the young people here. 
I see us all milling about there in the narthex. And it pains me sometimes to see the older, wiser ones amongst us who walk right past the young people. Why can't you stop and speak with them? And young people, I hope you have enough courage, enough strength to listen to them. But why can't you stop and speak with them? And if you have a better relationship with them, you could take them out for coffee. You could take them out for lunch. Why doesn't that happen in our church? May I challenge you this morning, dear friends, in 2024, to change our way of thinking on that line. Let there be the open line of communication. What if there was a young person who was willing to listen? But because you always are speaking with the men of your own age in your own situation, they don't hear your wisdom, and you rob them of that wisdom. Well, then some of the blame lies on you. Let's do that. Let's punch that young man in the shoulder and say, hey, how's it going? Maybe you don't know all their language and all their terminology, but I think they'll listen. I think they'll listen. Young people, men, young men, young women, listen to the older folks. You know, there's another thing you can do. Many of you can drive. What's to stop you from going out to see Judy Zichterman at Park Village Pines? Or Nell Lingbeek? Or Mina Balkama, for that matter now? They would love a visit. And you can hear their wisdom. You can speak with them. And so just as in lesson four here, we talked about using the means. In lesson five, Look to the wiser people. I can say also to the, to, the, to, to the adults amongst us, when's the last time that you picked up a book to read on an issue that you might be struggling with? Perhaps you've been elected to be elder. Perhaps you've been nominated or elected to be a deacon. There are many wonderful books to read on those subjects. Perhaps you have an issue in your own marriage. Seek out counsel. Seek out counseling. There's no shame in that. That's an honorable thing to do. That's a God-honoring use of the means that God has provided us. I urge you, my friends, to make use of the wisdom that lies both in the men and women seated here, but especially in the men and women who have long since departed this life, but have left us with book upon book. We, we live in an age where there is so much wonderful literature to be read and to be learned and to be studied. Let's take advantage of that. Let's use it. I come then, my friends, to my last lesson here. Promises kept. Children, in your own notes, you can just write one word here. Christ. Christ. Promises. Sometimes we hear politicians say, promises made, promises kept. Well, we certainly see that here. God had made a promise to Paul, and the very last clause of this chapter that we read, they all were brought safely to land. My friends, in 2024, we will face storms. No question about that. Some of us may face the last storm. The worst storm that any human ever has to face, and every one of us has to face it. But 2024 may be the last year we spend upon this earth. It can be that our life will come to a close in 2024. My friends, how will you face that storm? How will you face that storm? 
Perhaps you say this morning, I don't know how I'd face that storm. I don't have the resources. I don't have what it takes to step up in the face of death. My friends, if you're a believer this morning, you do have the resources. I know it makes us tremble. I know we just soon dismiss that thought. But look it in the face this morning, my friends. You must die. And I must die. And I know the younger ones amongst us are thinking, yeah, there's some older people in this church. No, it can happen to the youngest one here. Children, young people, listen. You also can die. How will you face that storm? My friends, Christ faced that storm. Christ went through the agony of death. Why? To take away the sting of death for every one of his people. That's where I want to leave the sermon this morning, my friends. I want, as the pastor, to point you to the one who went through the storm. He passed through the storm of death. And on Sunday morning, the grave was empty. That means he put death to death. Jesus is the death of death. And because of that, we can have so much hope and so much courage, even when we face death. When we put our trust in Christ, we have the resources even to face the last enemy. My friends, I ask you to think about that this morning. And I call you to look and to see the Lord Jesus Christ as he died on that cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might never be forsaken of him. Now that's a strength, my friends, that you can take hold of even when the last hour draws near. Whether it's in 2024 or many years from now, God faced the storm of death and he defeated it in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we are in Christ, we too can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It has no victory then, my friends. The victory is ours. Let us pray. Lord, we draw near to you in this morning hour. What a blessed and happy message, O oh God, that we can hear that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cruel cross, not for any sin that he had committed, but to take away our sin. The strength of sin is the law, and the strength of death is what sin gives it. But when sin has been taken away, then the sting of death is also removed. So we can face it without courage, or we can face it with courage, without any fear, without any trepidation. Lord, I pray that you would bless the older ones amongst us who live every day with the possibility of dying. But Lord, I pray for the young ones also, the younger ones, even the children, that they too would know that they also must die. Lord, we cannot die as we were born, but we can only die being reborn by the power of the Spirit of God. And so we pray, Lord, that as we face the new year, we would face it with these matters in our minds and with faith in Christ in our hands. And then we would know, O Lord, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Lord, will you remember us then in your mercy? Bind these things upon our hearts and hear us. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's turn now in the blue hymn book to number 175. Lord, through all the generations of the children of our race, in our fears and tribulations, thou hast been our dwelling place. And we'll sing what follows in the three verses of number 175 in the blue hymn book.
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.